Welcome back to the Lost and Found podcast for episode four. And today I sit down with Hamilton Souther, who is a maestro and serves ayahuasca in Peru and has done for the last 20 years. Now, this was a conversation I was really looking forward to as I'd listened to uh, Hamilton on Aubrey Marcus's podcast quite some time ago. And I actually reached out to him just a few days prior to me doing my most recent ayahuasca journey. So when he accepted to come on the podcast, I really was excited to be able to dive in and have a full podcast episode all about ayahuasca, how he first got called to the jungle and what it was like for him spending the last 20 years there and really seeing the development of plant medicines in popular culture as a way of reaching higher levels of consciousness and how we're seeing that more and more now within society and you know what that looks like moving forwards. So it really was a special conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly and I hope you enjoy it too. Before we get into it, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, please do that and maybe even share it with someone else that might enjoy this or that might be thinking about doing ayahuasca. All the links to be able to reach out to Hamilton are going to be in the description below. And if you're interested in his retreats, Blue Morpho retreats, the links will be there for that as well. And that's it from me. Let's jump in to the episode. Thanks once again for being here. This is the fourth episode of the podcast, so still new. And it it's it really kind of fills my cup when there are people who are willing to join me so early on. Um, so yeah, thanks again. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm glad to support early podcasts. We also have an early one too. So we know what it's like to go through that and happy to have this conversation. Wonderful. It, it was the morning you replied to my message the night before I lay down in bed and had the thought of, I've, <laughs> I've messaged quite a few people, but you were the person that I'd actually lay down and thought, I really hope Hamilton gets back to this because I was, I think, a few days out from doing what was my fifth journey with ayahuasca. And I actually hadn't, I hadn't uh, journeyed with her for nearly five years. So it had been a little while and a lot had happened in my life since then. And I was, I felt cold and ready. Um, and I just remember thinking, I lay down and thought, I really hope Hamilton gets back. And then I woke up in the morning and you'd replied. It's like, ah, thank you. <laughs> So for, for the people listening, Hamilton, would you mind just sharing, I mean, it's, it's pretty wild and exciting. I mean, there's so much that I want to speak of, but could you maybe give like a little overview of where you're at in your journey right now and what the last, well, I mean, maybe is it 20 years for you of, of your life has, has looked like? Sure. Uh, <laughs> where we are now is pretty exciting times, really. Um, you know, as a as an entrepreneurial group and uh, plant medicine group, we've expanded and grown a lot over the years. And so, uh, right now, Blue Morpho is in a massive expansion, and Blue Morpho is the first uh, business and entity around the plant medicines that I created. Uh, BlueMorphoTours.com. You can check out the website. But Blue Morpho was one of the very first uh, centers in the Peruvian Amazon dedicated to plant medicines and really the vast. Uh, expression of Amazonian plant medicine as a way to heal people and help them. And um, 
so you know over 20 years of plant medicine it's gotten to a point where there's this uh, massive adoption and expansion and interest around the world and we wanted to support that and so uh, Blue Morpho is still offering retreats as we did for the last 20 years but we're also launching the Blue Morpho Academy which will be live in April and the Blue Morpho Academy will be the first um, you know really legitimate certification program for coaches and sitters and facilitators to be able to learn a standardization of basic knowledge and wisdom and understanding around the use of plants the do's and don'ts the uh, really the best information to be able to have a really professional practice and um, also get certified to be able to show that you've been through a, a true kind of training program so blue morpho academy is coming out and it's gonna be really interesting and part of it will also be a collective group and individual coaching programs to be able to support you not only um, in your own journey through the academy itself but also for your own uh, success and really life improvement and betterment and then also to learn from us how to be able to interact with uh, clients and people that um, might be now exploring psychedelics and um, how to be able to work with them and better serve your community. So um, Blue Morph Academy is coming out, which is a really exciting thing. And we're also technologists. We've been really interested in using technology to support humanity. And um, two of our projects are about to go live. Both of them are marketplaces. One is to support artists and uh, digital media creators to be able to really monetize and make a better living from their creativity. It's been a project for we've been working on for the last uh, four years. And so we finally have the platform coded. And um, also in Q1 this year, we're going to be starting to share that in a soft launch. And it's really exciting to be able to get that out there. It's a new monetization system for artists so that all different kinds of digital media, digital intellectual property can be traded on a global basis and um, ultimately better support the artists that are the ones creating it. So uh, we're moving from sort of web two to web three. It uses uh, blockchain technologies to be able to make that possible. And that's also a really exciting thing. And then um, our lab is also launching a real world asset platform, which is supposed to help people really gain uh, a, a greater control over their own uh, finances and over the things that they own. So we spend so much money on things that we actually own, and then they just sit there either depreciating in value or uh, some of them appreciate in value over a very long period of time. The platform helps you be able to better control the, the amount of value that's in those projects and be able to trade that also on a global basis if you would like to, or also be able to gain uh, access to the value that's stored inside the nature of the possessions. So that's called Liquid Earth, and Liquid Earth will also be, be coming out pretty soon. So... It's an exciting time for us. So we have the Academy, we have Full Stock, and we have Liquid Earth, and uh, really excited about being able to share those projects and be able to support people have both a better creative life and also a freer life financially. Wow. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I actually was involved in Web3 all of 2021, uh, worked with some of the big blockchains uh, and kind of marketplaces within NFTs, uh, worked with some big UK contemporary artists that wanted to move to uh digitized uh versions so it was uh yeah it was, it was pretty cool and um yeah some some crossover there oh interesting what projects did you work on well we work with a few of the um blockchains such as uh xrp and zillica and and elrons we did some uh, consulting and then some of the some UK artists that are sold in galleries over here 
um, wanted to venture into the NFT space and release some collections there. Uh, and it was, it was, it was really exciting. I really enjoyed it. Uh, ultimately I actually felt that, um, and I felt this for a while that I've been doing things that I don't find excitement in, but it actually really didn't align with what I felt like was my deeper purpose, um, which is why I'm here doing this now. I've, I've always felt this kind of calling, but somewhat ignored it, to be honest. Um, and maybe that was actually down to a little bit of um, doubt in myself as to would people really want to listen to me and my ideas and, and these types of, you know, there's that type of chatter. So I think I've actually spent a lot of the last few years of my life doing other things that I thought, oh yeah, this is cool. This is exciting. Um, and, you know, still has, has value. But I think I was kind of ignoring that, that whisper inside of me that has just got louder and louder over time to, to bring me to this. Oh, fantastic. What was the calling that first brought you to it? Hmm. I noticed from a young age, maybe five years old, that I seemed to notice things that other people didn't notice. That I was aware of things that I was almost confused as to why other people weren't noticing the same things that I was noticing. And I wasn't quite sure how to articulate that. Um, when I was 12 years old, a friend of mine at school, her younger brother died. He was only nine years old. And she was, her family would say that I was the only person that she would speak to about it. And then... I found that type of thing would happen over and over. I would be at a bachelor party in Dubai in a bar and end up talking to someone and she's telling me, she's opening up and she's saying, I've not even told my husband this. And these things would just happen over and over and over again. And I always had a sense that I meant to be doing something along that path that some, somewhat aligns with that. But I think because... We almost get taught that we have to go and get a qualification to do a thing where you have to be something rather than just maybe being the thing that comes so naturally to you. It's almost like we don't get taught, hey, if you want to be sabri, you you can just do that. And it's like, well, how, you know, it almost goes against what we're brought up learning, I suppose. Um, and I think uh, in 2020, I had an interesting experience where it was actually on my daughter's birthday. It was her fourth birthday. And I'd taken her back to her mom's and I had my first experience of channeling, I suppose is what it would be, um, mm -hmm. where I wrote down a lot of biblical passages having not looked at a Bible before, but it was kind of speaking to how it was, how it's not, how it's been misinterpreted and what a lot of the deeper meaning was behind it. And I remember having never had a reference for that type of thing. I'd not really heard of channeling before that. I didn't really know what had happened and it was two hours of writing and it just felt like it wasn't me. And after it was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> not sure what this is, but it actually really shifted my entire view of how, of how I looked at the world. Um, certain things that I had that like trappings or, or addictions or things that I was drawn to seem to just go immediately from that moment. I've not eaten 
sugary foods since that day. Um, and I remember feeling like I need to share this. I need to share this with people, some of these insights. I'd, and I've got to do that. And then I actually then was presented with the opportunity to do, uh, to get into the NFT space. And I really enjoyed it because we we're, were making such good kind of connections with some fantastic artists and it felt, it felt really good, but it actually pulled me completely away from that path until last year. Last year, I actually sat in nature and I just said aloud, I said, God, what do you want from me? What am I meant to be doing? And, you know, not the, um, not the religious God, but the God that I had experienced in, in an ayahuasca previously. And I felt like I just had a answer arise from in my body, which said, you know exactly what you're meant to be doing. And you can keep ignoring it, but that's not going away. And I kind of just smiled and said, okay. And I then actually burnt the boats and I cut off any other possibility and I'm all in on this and, and for me this is the podcast to share ideas and it's relating to consciousness and maybe some philosophy mysticism things that people can implement or ideas or ways of thinking that could be beneficial to them you know I guess they can choose how they want it but then also I feel such a tremendous amount of my cup being full when I connect with people in a deep and meaningful way. And if I can help maybe just help them navigate some things that they're struggling to navigate, I find that I actually, when I speak to people, I can often get a feeling in my body of what's going on for them in theirs. And I've honed in on that more recently. And it might be chakra related which is funny because I actually didn't really understand chakras that much until I just kept getting sensations in my body when I was speaking to somebody else. And then I started to look into it more and I was like, okay, I started to make a lot more sense. In fact, I got a lot of things in dreams about the chakras uh, when I'd wake up and I'm like, oh, and then I'd, I'd, I'd look to reference it and it was exactly right. Um, so yeah, a long answer. <laughs> um and then yeah I just felt like I couldn't really ignore it anymore and I just need to go all in and honestly Hamilton I feel probably the deepest sense of almost relief and alignment where I feel like oh it is okay to be me I've, I've felt called to this for so long and I feel such a sense of almost like returning home that's amazing the original spiritual callings, you know, can be so deep. And so I question around that about what, you know, opens up for somebody. In my case, it it came like you, like spontaneously, and I didn't know how to relate to it. And uh, I was in my early 20s, just started to happen. And ultimately, it came through, like you say, like these kind of channelings or this information that you didn't really think you had, or maybe it was deep in us ancestrally, and, you know, it starts to awaken inside of us. And then it has direction associated with it like you described like being you know told the direction to head and something that feels super right for you and i think that's you know i think it's fascinating and to follow that calling is very courageous so i you know very excited for you and support you with that thank you yeah so what was your experience of, of that then and how did you navigate it because i think it can be 
maybe confusing, maybe overwhelming for some people that might have a similar type of experience of where do I go with this and what do I do now? Because for me, it was like I was shown so much and it was almost like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of different kinds of callings and awakenings that take place. Um, a lot of people I meet are confused by the experiences that they're having because they're still kind of in this kind of halfway zone between what they think has like the modern way that's been laid out for them to have to live. And this great awakening that's happening where lots of people are having experiences of just, you know, greater creativity and ways of approaching the life that they want to live. And um, in my case, it was very direct. It was something that was like right out of traditional shamanic apprenticeships where you have prophetic dreams and then different kinds of shifts in consciousness that open you up to extrasensory perception. You know, other people aren't perceiving what you're perceiving, but you also know that it's real. And so I was a scientist. So I started to do studies to test whether or not what was I was experiencing was actually real or factual. And they all turned out to be true. So in my case, within six weeks of having this sort of great awakening take place, I was basically told that I would go to Peru and that there were, um, these master shamans that were there that had that were literally waiting for me and that if I arrived there they would start to uh, teach me and train me and so I had to go on this great adventure to go see whether or not I was delusional or whether it was actually a fact and so I uh, I ended up resisting a bit for a period of time because it's kind of scary and you know some ways it was very odd at that time to think about it um you know I I asked in the visions like these are just like deep meditations. There's no sacred plants or anything. It's just deep meditation and, you know, trancing to, you know, drum tracks and stuff like that. And just ask, you know, the great source and great spirit, like, well, how do I do this? And they're like, oh, go be a backpacker. It's like really simple answers, you know? So like, okay, I got a backpack and went to Peru and went looking for, for these people. And ultimately I ended up finding them, which is, you know, even crazier to really think about it. It's kind of more interesting, but it happened just like I had I had seen in the visions and in the dreams. And so, you know, you kind of embrace that journey and you go on it and um, you you take the good with the bad that comes on that journey. And there's a lot of trials and tribulations that you go through. But ultimately, I think it's incredibly rewarding because you're fulfilling something deep inside yourself instead of just a role. And so, you know, that that sense that there's something very important behind what you're doing is always present. And it's uh, something that can be shared with others. So in my case, it was go to Peru, find the apprenticeship, do the apprenticeship, start training, and then uh, it was going to unfold from there. So it was all laid out in a very step-by-step -step kind of fashion. Wow. And was there, was there resistance in you to follow that? Because I think for some people that have these types of callings, it's almost like, um, I guess it is a faith that they need to have of, okay, like this thing, it feels so strong that I have to follow it. How, how did that unfold for you? At first for me, I, I just didn't know, you know, I was living in California at the time. I was in my early twenties. I had just graduated from the university. I didn't have what I thought of as spiritual experiences or a spiritual background. And so it was pretty overwhelming. There was no way to describe what was happening. So the very first thing I did was I called a psychologist and went over everything that was happening with the psychologist. And the psychologist actually told me that I didn't have any problems. <laughs> so that just sort of like took that whole side of the, of the uh, field out, you know? And so um, the second thing I did was I started to open up to something more was happening. 
and I became interested in talking with people I normally wouldn't have talked with, like people from the spiritual community, or I was, you know, more open to uh, just synchronicities and things like that that were unfolding. So, I mean, the first thing I wanted to know was that, you know, I, this wasn't a negative thing that was happening because I didn't have a frame of reference for it. You know, it was just, it just started and it was, it was a presence of spirit and spiritual energies. And it was a presence of, uh, of, you know, these extrasensory perceptions that would, that would happen randomly at, you know, but daily, but randomly, it wasn't like it was a set period of time where I would do some kind of meditation and it would go so much deeper than what I thought a meditation could go. It would go into these visions and in the visions I would be shown uh you know literally what i needed to do next so it was a, it was a great unfolding the resistance was fear and the fear and doubt you know overcame you so you don't know what's happening you don't know what's gonna come from it there's no trodden path for it especially when i started so it was like walking you know every step into the unknown giving up everything that you had known before you know to embrace this including this, at that time, the support of a lot of other people, they just didn't get it, you know, so it's like, you're supposed to be following a very set trajectory in your life. And all of a sudden, you're kind of throwing that all away to do something else. And uh, some people just don't understand that. So, you know, all of those things, I think, create certain kinds of resistances. And in my case, though, I think the biggest resistance is just fear and doubt. Mm -hmm. So I, I doubted that any of it could be true, because I just didn't have a frame of reference for it. And then ultimately, had to confront that doubt as things came true which really made me go deeper into the experience. I realized that I was doubting just the gateway. Like I was doubting just the, the original opening of the door to go into this, you know, alternate reality. And um, once I went through that door by basically like the guess and check model that this was actually real, then I realized how deep it really went. And that opened up got a series of experiences over the last 20 years that uh, have actually just gone deeper and and uh, became more interesting. And funny enough, in the last uh, three months or four months, it's actually been the most interesting time of the entire journey. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I'd like to definitely get to that. But before we do, I guess one thing that came up for me was, do you have a explanation just within yourself as to why it came up for you why why this uh, awakening or whatever it was shown whatever called you did, do you have a did you get to a place where you have an understanding of, of that well, i think in my case i asked for it so by in my early 20s i had already played out what i thought was the trajectory of adult life and i'd kind of already seen where it ends up uh, both being successful and ultimately this great tragedy that it all ends in and philosophically it wasn't a very palatable concept for me at that time. So, you know, I grew up in Silicon Valley in the 90s when antidepressant drugs became the popular thing. And I saw all these unbelievably materially successful people who are our parents, you know, the parents of all the kids that I went to school with, all sick. And so it didn't make any sense to me. I was trying to figure out how, you know, this sort of wealth worship, um, you know, technology worship experience that we all lived in could ultimately have everyone in their 40s be sick it just literally didn't make sense and so i was very interested in seeing if there was any kind of help beyond antidepressants that we could ultimately find or support with um, i also thought that you know the trajectory obviously it brought us from our you know teen years to 20s 30s 40s into the 40s we would be in some kind of crisis like them and so um in my early 20s i just asked for it i asked to uh 
be shown if there was something more behind this existence. I asked if there was, you know, any truth to spirit. I asked if there was any truth to God or source. I asked if there was, uh, you know, something more important about the universe other than just materialism and death and the kind of the continuous worship of fear throughout our life in this kind of, you know, ever impending doom of what could possibly happen. And I was also tired of like the doom and gloom story of life at that time. So I thought like in my early twenties, how, how my biggest fear at that time was how you actually make it to like 70 or 80 and die. Because it's like, how, how do you go from early twenties in this world that seems like it's so chaotic, seems like it's so falling apart seems like we've created as a species so many problems mm. seems like everybody's you know laden with problems how do you even survive it and why would you even want to it was just like this perplexing question for me and so i asked for that question to be solved little did i know that when you solve that question you confront existence and when you confront existence you open up beyond that hypnosis or that illusion of of kind of social construct that we're brought up in Wow. Yeah. So when faced with existence, um, I feel like that's something I'd, I'd love to hear your ideas, well, not ideas, your experience, what you've experienced when it comes to existence and, you know, that gateway, that door that you spoke of for people that might be called to the door, but maybe haven't ventured all the way through to see what's on the other side. I'd, I'd love to really kind of hear your ideas and takes on that relating to existence. Yeah, I think beyond, uh, you know, what we think of as like the material world, there's this energetic world that's going on. And we use, a, it's a really interesting uh, fixation on light to prove this idea of differentiation and separation. And so, you know, we, we use our, our eyes to fixate on things. We forget that the image that we're seeing is actually an image inside our mind. It's our mind taking the light and making sense of it. And so it, you know, it makes walls, walls, and it makes the door, the door and makes cities, mazes, and it makes uh, a computer screen look like an image, et cetera. And we forget that what's happening is that light stimulating the eye, it's going through the optic nerve, it's going into the brain, and the brain is using its neural network to be able to create this understanding of space time. And pretty soon over time, the way that we, we do that collectively is to make that reality and only the things happening within that field or spectrum is being real is, is, you know, what we experience until the point that, uh, you know, we're just ourselves. We live in a, an idea of our identity in that identity. We go through our daily life and it's pretty repetitive. And what sits behind that is ultimate existence. Existence was there before you, uh, were born. Existence is there after you die. Existence is, is the origin of your consciousness, which is not just located or relegated to your physical body. It's part of your body while you're alive, but it's it's more expansive than that. It goes beyond that fixation of light that we live in where you know, we think that everything has to fit within the four walls of our existence in that box that we've created for ourselves. And the doorway really takes you through that box. It, it takes you through an experience to uh, you know, where you you can see infinity goes forever the universe goes forever you start to see that you know out in the rest of the cosmos is an unbelievable amount of spiral galaxies and stars literally billions upon billions upon billions of them and this idea of being isolated here of the earth in this human dramatic story starts to fall away and consciousness becomes more of a phenomena uh, of spirit of god of source 
And uh, I like source as a term just simply because God is also a religious term. And source is about the essence of even how religious people came to the notion of a God. So it's like, it's, it's you know, seminal to the idea of, uh, of there even being religion. And so I just think that, you know, this idea of existence asks the question and answers the question for the universe itself. So it's, it is also what scientists call big bang or origin of this version of universe. It's also the origin of people believe in multiverse. It's also the, the understanding that beyond death, there's something so much more than both the idea of something dying, the idea of something reincarnating or some binary scenario that you get presented with like heaven or hell or you know these other concepts so it goes beyond the notion of nothing it goes beyond the idea of a binary reality and it goes beyond the idea of a cyclical reality where you have to come back and do this again in some other form all of those philosophies i think are very powerful philosophies and billions of people believe in them but ultimately existence proves that there are gateways into and out of all of those different uh, scenarios so if you look at the philosophies that sit behind them, there's always some way to reincarnate and ultimately achieve the way out of reincarnation. There's always a way to ultimately find salvation and move from you know one, one side of the binary argument to another. And I think those are arguments that we're creating about this phenomena of existence. And uh, existence is just something that's so powerful because we don't have a, a clear understanding of even why we originated in the first place other than the fact that we were part of a great plan of source and that it's still unfolding. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to, for example, a plant medicine like ayahuasca, what what is your understanding or explanation of what occurs when someone has ayahuasca and, and goes on that journey? That's a mysterious question. <laughs> I think that's what makes ayahuasca so so powerful and so special. But um, you know, fundamentally, ayahuasca is a, a plant medicine tea. You participate in a ceremony with it. Um, it has curative properties associated with it, or healing properties associated with it. But it also has um, you know these these unbelievable capacities for awakening and for vision and purpose to the nature of those visions it's not just hallucinations like some people talk about but mm. rather that there's a context associated with it that's both psychological um and also spiritual and there's also an awakening in the body that takes place in the through the ingestion of it where you know as you mentioned the chakras or the light body also light up and those concepts of of you know existence of those phenomena become real so you know, it's not just, oh, I've heard about chakras. It's, you can really feel them. Many people can see them. It's not just that people have, you know, auras in concept, people see them and feel them. It's not just that we have energy, people see it and feel it, you know, it's this massive expansion that takes place. And then in the mythology of the forest, there's this idea that the plants themselves are sentient, or they have a kind of consciousness associated with them. And, um, you know, we always experience that through our own consciousness. And so, or the field of consciousness, however you want to look at that. So you can either say, well, I drink it and it's happening through my consciousness, or it's happening because we're in this field of consciousness and we've somehow united now together in a way that we can communicate. And the communication, I think, is it's an incredible form because it's not just a phonetic linguistics. It's not just syllables and, and sounds that we make, but rather it's 
molecular. It's it's the essence of the substance itself that you drink, and it goes into you, and it interacts with you on a chemical level, and it fundamentally changes for a period of time how you think and how you feel. Um, you know, it takes you on a journey as you go through that. And, um, you know, I think many people put a, a tremendous amount of emphasis on what I just call onset. And that's, that's going from my normal waking state of consciousness into the ayahuasca ceremony consciousness. And that's where people do a lot of purging. That's where people have to let go of a lot of things. But I think the real ceremony really kicks off when uh, everyone calms down and they've gotten through that the intensity of what they had to go through to get into the visions. And then the visions really start to happen and another trance state occurs. And uh, I think that's really where the depth of the experience comes from. And fundamentally, that's where we can explore concepts like we were just talking about with existence. That's where we can meet source and have a direct experience of source consciousness. That's where the heart can open up and all the teachings around the heart, whether they came from spiritualities or religions or other kinds of psychological philosophies make sense. And uh, that's where spirit can become real. And uh, I think it's very common for people to feel like there's an extraordinary perception that's taking place. There's a, a ability to communicate with things that were just objects to them before, like a forest, like the entire forest can come alive and, you know, the insects start communicating and the, uh, the actual plants that aren't making any sounds are communicating in ways that people come away with real messages and real understandings. And then there's this, the final piece of it is this incredible, I don't know, we, we think of it as like a great spiritual realm opens up where there's all of these kinds of spirits or all these kinds of energies that are, that are codified, like people know them and they're re repeatable and they call them like the spirit of the jaguar or the spirit of the hummingbird or the spirit of the medicine of the ayahuasca itself or the spirit of the medicine of a tree and uh, they can actually come to the ceremony and multiple people see them at the same time and they can perform different kinds of transformative healing or uh, work on people and uh, some people describe it as surgery some people describe it as manipulations of like the physical body to be able to create healing um, that the body moves in ways that it, it had never moved before some people describe it as uh, getting guidance and counseling directly from these spirits or these beings themselves and in the amazonian mythology they're considered part and parcel of reality so it's a really interesting uh, mix of of things that happen and it's an unbelievably dynamic experience i think it's the most dynamic experience of uh, any experience i've ever had and um, ayahuasca is just it is a mystery yeah you know the very first time i did it, i think it was uh, approaching seven years ago um, and i'd actually known about it for about maybe now it's probably 11 years ago when I first heard about it and some of my own like kind of inner circle you know some of the people that I'm close to had journeyed and actually at the time I didn't feel called to it I'd, I'd never touched a a state altering drug outside of alcohol at the time and I it just, I just I was in the mindset of at that time I was a lifelong martial artist i'd done bodybuilding i was very much into health and fitness and for me stay altering drugs i kind of just you know what we got told at school naughty naughty they're not good for you don't do those so yeah okay i, I subscribe to that uh, and then over time i just felt an, an, a calling it, it started off as a whisper and it got louder and louder and louder until i felt like i just really have to do this and that was seven years ago 
and I had a really incredible experience where I really couldn't see life the same way after. And I remember at the time thinking, has that just shown me what I already knew, but had completely forgotten that I knew? Or did that, or was that something outside of me? And I, I couldn't figure out which it was. Like, did that really take me in or did that take me out? Um, is that something you've kind of, you commonly see with people have that kind of, maybe not confusion, but like, well, maybe confusion of, of what just happened? Did I go really inwards or really outwards? Well, I think that's the, the you know, the mystery, right? We get yeah. presented with paradoxes all the time in association to the experience and how we perceive of it. Um, you know, I was asked once what I think a psychonaut was, and I said it was an inner astronaut. Mm-hmm. And so it's literally going in to go out. Yeah, yeah. And, it's like, mm. You know, and so, so did you go in? Yes. Did you go out? Yes. And now we have to answer what the in and what the out is and where mm. in actually goes. Because, you know, we used to go explore inside the body and the body would cease to be body anymore and it would just be light. And then light would go everywhere and then the body would be like an an epicentral point that you could return to but you could go from the body literally anywhere and uh you know then you had to ask the question well am i really out there or am i really just thinking i'm out there or am i really just in a vision that i'm out there and then what what would be the difference of that and so unpacking that i think is very difficult and uh, it's part of the mystery. And it's why I say it's a mystery, because <laughs> the more you have these experiences, the more mysteries you actually ultimately uncover around this nature of perception. Like perception isn't as just clean as this is real and that's not real. It's uh, we don't even know where real comes from, let alone where the not real could come from. And so I think you went inward. I think you went outward. I think uh, the division line between in and out gets blurred. And it's something to explore and that that's part of the great phenomena. Yeah, that was amazing. As you were saying that, something always came up for me, which was, oh, it it really is both. It really did take me inwards to realize that I am outwards. Almost like the two are the same. And that, yeah, I can't find the exact right words now, but I felt something inside me then, as you were saying that, which was like, of course, of course. Um, what I'd like to do, if, if it's okay with you, Hamilton, is share some of the things that came up for me recently. Because sure. having this been the fifth time, this one was actually quite different to the ones prior. So my first one was really beautiful, a lot of narration, which felt like outside of myself almost like a a voice that wasn't mine speaking to me explaining a lot of things it was giving me um it was putting me i saw a couple of demonic entities enter the room and the first thing i thought at the time was guess it's time to fight and then all of a sudden i was like in a like in a battleground ready to fight these things and then i looked a little closer and it became obvious to me that what i was seeing in these demonic entities was their pain and the thing that they needed was love and the moment I offered that love, they just went, and away they went. And then from that moment on, it was just the most loving, connected experience where everything that had ever happened in my life before made perfect sense. I felt like I was near reading the matrix. So that was my first one. Uh, the third one was kind of wild. That took me into past lives. 
from being a queen in Egypt to being uh, a, 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 it showed me all lives as a woman, actually. A queen in Egypt, uh, a prostitute maybe 200 years ago when I experienced being raped by the side of a canal and then having my throat slits. And it was, I remember I came around from that one and my head had fallen off. I was like, what have I just experienced? Um, and this this fifth one, um, it was it was on the full moon in Cancer. And it was actually a really slow onset and it was very gentle and it felt exceptionally motherly. And it felt like I was almost being given this hug and embrace. And it actually then I connected to my own mother who's who's still here and felt this deep motherly love. And it was almost like a welcome home son. And it was really gentle, very slow onset. And it was almost like a, just a, a gentle welcome back. And then she said to me, are you ready for the real shit? Like we've got, we've gone easy. Are you ready to go? And I said, yeah, let's go. And then it just rocked it away. And I spent the next several hours in what I, the words I've you, you know, used is the spirit realm where it was the place between incarnations and it was showing me that we're ultimately almost like uh, pixels of lights and that we, in that state, in that essence, we can't feel the dense emotions that we can experience here because we have to have the density of physical body. It took me through um, some other past lives that showed me as a mother and it took me to my dad, who is no longer here in physical body. I connected with him and it felt as real as you and I speaking with his dad, who I hadn't met before, with both my grandmothers. It told me about soul retrieval, spirit animals, a past life in Native America. Um, I was looking at the other people around me and I was seeing what was happening in their journey. And after when I spoke to them, it was accurate. Um, man, it was, it was wild. And it, I, don't, I might have just said this, it told me how to do soul retrievals. It told me how to uh, connect with people in the spirit realm that are here in the physical realm, but how to go there and to, and to connect and to do that. Um, Oh, what else? There, there was there was so much, and it was it was like she said, "I'm I'm, I'm going to take you to the source of all creation and let you see how things really work." And it was completely different to the other ones that I had. It felt like the most profound, and I just had this sense of, "Oh, I, like, wow, like, okay." this makes a whole lot more sense as to why we're here and what we're doing. And one of the things that it told me was that we ultimately, when we arrive in the body here, it's that it's just a moment. We only, we just drop in for a moment. And that in, in the body, the perception of time seems a lot longer. So even a, a 90 year life here, it feels like 90 years, but it says incarnate, incarnating into a body. If you wait 500 years for the next one, it doesn't feel like that in between because time doesn't work the same way. And that we ultimately, we forget 
And when we feel the density and some of the dense emotions that we experience in this life, it's because we forget what we actually are. And when we return and we remember, you almost can't help but laugh and you realize it's not nearly as serious as we kind of make out, but we've all forgotten. And we're, part of us is actually just trying to remember. And sometimes we'll seek anything and everything in the physical realm. And to a degree, what we're actually trying to do is just, there's a part of us that feels there's something missing and it's almost the memory of what we actually are. And if we can remember and realize what we actually are, how much life in, in the physical realm shifts. So that was quite a lot from me, but that was the essence and it was over about seven hours. That sounds like a, you know, an unbelievably complete journey. It sounds like ayahuasca really opened up for you many of the aspects of what is uh, both traditional in the experience and, you know, also unique for you in terms of being introduced to other kinds of cultures and philosophies and that the ayahuasca can work with. And so, I mean, all the things that you said are, are different kinds of techniques or experiences that we learn and use to be able to support other people as well through their journeys. And it's, a, again, part of that mystery and phenomena of ayahuasca that it can, in one night, take you through so many kinds of experiences. And um, there are many, many levels of graduation where it's sort of like you do a series of ceremonies and it takes you to a certain point and then you can have that experience of saying like, okay, are you ready to go? And you say yes. And then this whole other thing evolves and unfolds. And um, so far in our, in our journeys over the last 20 years, we've not seen an end to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, even the, the greatest practitioners who have thousands and thousands of ceremonies of experience, I'll say that it can unveil more in that same way. And that you can come to a place that you didn't even know was waiting for you. And all of a sudden, again, the, the space opens up into a whole new field of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding about yourself and your place in the universe and the universe as well. Um, the different kinds of healing techniques are obviously supportive and uh, just sounds like an incredible journey. So, you know, congratulations on having an amazing go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, one of the things that I've, I left out, which I thought was really interesting, um, I actually didn't, I didn't purge, I didn't vomit. Uh, except for momentarily but what was really interesting was when it took me to that spirit realm everything was great the moments I almost started to feel myself return to me as I started to identify as me being me as a singular being and not connected to everything that's when I would start to feel ready to to throw up and then if I start to feel that and almost let go of the identification of me and returns settle back down and there's one moment where i momentarily just just purged the tiny bit and it was just when i started to become more and more aware of myself and i thought that was really interesting that the only times i wanted to vomit was when i really kind of identified as being singular and not part of the whole which i thought was really interesting well the, the purging is uh, also another phenomenon and there's different kinds um, you know, typically it comes during onset or later in the night and, and, or if you confront something that you can't handle. So there's, there's physical removal of toxins and different kinds of residue in the body that need to come out. Um, there's 
for some cases, literally a saturation of ayahuasca in the body. So it's sort of like you have enough and the body's going to just eject whatever, whatever it doesn't need anymore. Um, there's also the purge where you have a kind of illness and it's going to come out of you. And then there's the purge where to go to a higher vibrational state in consciousness, you have to let go of lower vibrational state energies. And um, they just, they come out. So that all, often that happens during onset or mm -hmm. like you say, happens later in the night. Um, when you, in consciousness, open up to the great whole, like you were feeling connected to absolutely everything. Um, that state of being is available right now. We're in it right now. We just don't have the awareness of it. Right. We're, we're not open. We ourselves are not open to it in the same way as we are when we're in that state of consciousness that we find in ceremony. And when we come back to the body, it's like a reverse process of going into lower vibrational states. And so as you're going into that, there's it can be a resistance that the body doesn't want, like you as body don't want to go back into that in the same way. And that it's hard to accept. It's hard to accept in, in some ways, because that feels like home. Everybody who reaches that state where they feel connected to everything feels like that's the truth yeah that's the the true way that we are that's what this really is and all this other stuff is a creation that we've concocted amongst ourselves in lower states of consciousness and ideas of separation and that it doesn't you know feel good to the body anymore and it doesn't feel good to spirit it doesn't feel good to soul and you know some people feel a tremendous nostalgia when they start to leave those states and come back into the the physical states so I think that's what was happening with you, that you were, you know, moved to this place where you're so at oneness and so at home with being in that really expanded state and uh, understanding time in that way as well, which I think is a phenomenon we all share, which is that uh, what seems like thousands and thousands of years or seconds and what seems like a lifetime can be literally, a, you know, a snap of the finger. And uh, this the seriousness that we give to it is serious to us while we're living it, but to the great idea of the consciousness of the cosmos it's a very finite expression and something that source is doing and learning from and experiencing and it does it over and over again in different ways and we as individuals are and soul as part of that journey and those concepts become very real and have a lot of richness and texture and meaning after having these kinds of ayahuasca ceremonies and so i think coming back to the body feeling nausea as you as you start to you know kind of re-enter body or as you kind of come back into self um i think that's actually you know just indicative of of how expansive that experience was for you and how at home you felt yeah it's it's so right i think sometimes to try and find the words to explain to someone who hasn't who hasn't experienced a journey with ayahuasca i almost feel like any word that any words that you use is reductive and it, it just reduces it to something sounds out the mouth that just can't do it justice to really explain but yeah that feeling of being at home for me and this is one of the things that I've tried to articulate you know with people before is that I feel like some people want I know as it's become more and more popular now some people think like oh this will be a this will be fun like going to the movies to watch a cool film and you know one of the uh you know so some of the people that had done the journey were saying to me are you excited and it was their first time doing it and I said I'm not sure if excited's the word I'm not, I'm not like not an excitement no um ready but but not excitement and um 
and, and I think you know one of them in particular, bless her, she had a pretty a pretty tough time. And I remember laying there and looking over and thinking, I bet you're not excited now. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes, you know, people do want to kind of think, oh, let's go do this thing that I've heard about. That sounds like a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden the demon shows up or the now they're being raped and having their throat slit. And it's not quite as much, <laughs> quite as much fun. But what, what I found is that really the experience at the time, it's just like a moment where it's, reminding me of what home is and that's really what came out of that one for me it was like allowing me to see what almost what I really needed to see to know to feel so that I can now move forward in my life and, and really not almost slip out of the memory of that and how do I incorporate practices to stay connected to what I felt and to what I know to be true because I mean, the other day I, I wrote a love letter to humanity effectively and I was crying when I wrote it and I felt it so deeply and I felt like I have seen the essence of what you are and where you're from and I know we're all connected and I know that maybe you don't see it and you've forgotten but like I, I just sense the pain of people that um just it makes me feel emotional they can't feel them themselves they don't realize what they are or where they're from and uh having seen it i just feel like ah oh, like I, I wish you you knew i wish you knew and sometimes it's almost hard to feel that and experience it and not and know that other people it's ah like, oh, i wish I, I wish you knew as well yeah you know the reality that sits behind these experiences is that you can't put them into words and there's a culture in the Amazon where this came from that's not about uh, it's it's not about any way that Westerners frame taking substances. It's not a drug culture, and it's not a reductionist pill culture, and it's not a sit back and relax and go on a you know just hang out with your friends kind of and drink a few beers culture. It's its own culture, and I think that that has to be respected and understood. And the culture is that you're going to do something really serious. That you're going to be participating in something that's unbelievably important to the culture and also very, very serious. And there's the healing aspect of it. And then there's also the learning aspect of it. And learning means having experiences that you didn't have before. That's how they, re they relate to it. So the ones that you highlight from your experience are experiences you hadn't had before connecting you to past lives and connecting you to other forms of existence. And they just say, that's learning. So now you've learned. And some of it's awakening and some of it is connecting to things that are just deep within us. Some of it's exploring mysteries that we don't have answers for yet. And some of it is tapping into the deepest core of our own mythologies, like light versus dark and angels and demons. And figuring out where all that comes from and what to do. Like, I love how you said you gave demons love and they burst into light. And we had that same experience and that was not something we were taught to do from the traditions. And so you give up the fight and you give them light and they came to you for love in the first place and they stopped being something that was negative and harming. And that idea of understanding where soul comes from and the purpose of soul in kind of the great cosmic reality being something more than just being isolated here of earth and sort of, you know, cast away from whatever to live here or having an ego ride or, uh, a, you know, 
what seems like a suffering life purpose, like a, a just come here to suffer and forget uh, is something I think that's also shared amongst a lot of us who've had these experiences that we see that there's something much greater and purpose to life itself. And that that comes from really the universe and it's something that can be shared. And I feel with you that desire for others to be able to understand that there is something so much more beautiful about life and that that's something that we can ultimately share and create together, but you have to have the experience. I think one of the hardest things in the last 20 years has been trying to share with people what this is like when they can't have the experience to understand. And what ultimately changes is the mythology that we live by. So what underpins our ideologies is a mythology. And that mythology, you know, creates what we understand of life itself. So when you go and you have the visions and you see where all the souls are and how they come to earth and how time is different. Now our understanding of time changes and our understanding of soul changes. And that that's a mythology within us. And that update for us then changes the way we understand life. It changes what life is about and why and what we're all doing together and how we can reverse suffering or how we can transcend it. And I think that's a gift to humanity that you can share and that others are sharing. And I think it's time of a great awakening so that we can move from this fixation in our mythologies of darkness, which look really apocalyptic at this time. And lots of people are in a tremendous state of suffering without knowing how to, how to transcend it or how to leave it. And I think that part of the great awakening that people talk about is a sharing of ideas and understandings that there's something more that fundamentally there's something more in the world, there's something more to life, there's something more to soul, and there's something more than our own individual suffering, and that we can move beyond it, we can move beyond trauma. And uh, and when we do, that mythology that we're living in that keeps us stuck in one place in that kind of internal suffering that you know seems to perpetuate, that we have an ability to transcend it and that we can ultimately transcend it together. Yeah, that's, it's beautiful. And, um, you know, for people that are maybe listening to this or watching this that haven't ever ventured into, you know, plant medicines, what, what would be your kind of suggestions or advice on how they, you know, if they feel called to it, what would be the steps that they take in the, almost the preparation for something like that and then also how to go about actually going through the process and, and experiencing it i think preparation comes first with a desire to have the experience and then the proper framing of the experience itself like you said it's not a party it's not going and taking drugs it's not going and having a few beers with friends it's not going to the pub so it's not watching a movie what is it right and what what it is is a deep communion with yourself and with spirit and with existence in the universe. And it may or may not deliver your expectations. So the first thing you need to do is get really comfortable with your, your set and setting of this experience. So the mindset is I'm gonna go do something really significant for myself and I can get a tremendous amount out of this. And I wanna get the most out of it I possibly can. And I wanna treat this as a visionary medicine. I wanna treat this as something that can be healing for me, affirmative, positive, uh, helpful. And I want to approach it with a kind of delicacy, like uh, reduce expectation, go in with an open mind and, and find a place where I can say yes within myself to the experience. Because it gets really hard when we all of a sudden want to say no to the experience. It's like you can't undo the fact that you did it. So 
you know, you need to be in that place to be able to say yes. And so I think preparation is key beforehand. You want to be off any kinds of other drugs or alcohol for days beforehand, at least three days, four days is best, a week's even better. Uh, you want to reduce heavy fats in your foods, heavy fats in like meats, products that you could eat before two, three days before going in. No spicy foods like capsicum or chili peppers for two or three days before going in. Um, the diet preparation is really helpful because it uh, all those different kinds of foods have an effect on the body in terms of how you metabolize and digest the ayahuasca. And so, you know, people like to think that it's just drinking this kind of plant tea and it doesn't really matter, but it actually does. And it's been figured out over thousands of years. So just, you know, prepare the diet as well. Um, stress has a lot to do with the experience that you have. And so if you can, you want to have like a pretty chilled out day or a relaxed day, the, the day before going in or the, the day of the ceremony itself. So give yourself time. You don't want to be rushing around in a crazy day. And then five minutes beforehand, realize you got to take an Uber somewhere or, you know, you're, you're whatever, like you just don't want to have that experience. So, you know, you want to be in a relaxed state, kind of in your own flow state going into it. Um, I think those are the, the easiest preparations. And then you want to know that going in, you're having a spiritual communion. You're having a spiritual experience. You could think of it as a spiritual or a religious experience, depending on how you want to frame it. And that that's uh, something that's very core to your being, something very sacred to you. And you're about to enter into something that, like, I think that's a good word, sacred. You're doing something for you that's very sacred. And if you treat it that way, that's the experience you get to have. Um, a lot of people don't understand that the plants are sentient. And so you drink them and they know you, they know the state that you're in, and then they approach that state. Like you had, and you mentioned in your experience where they asked you if you were ready to go to the next level of all of this. And um, so, so they know the state that you're in and then they work with you through that state. So I think understanding that there's something sacred that's taking place helps uh, you move into the part of the experience that is sacred. And then you have an experience that's very positive and transformative. So I think that's the, the best ways to start. Once you're in, it's a completely different scenario, right? So there's lots of different ways to describe uh, and guide going into the experience, like once you've actually drunk the ayahuasca. Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong to it. Just people have techniques and they have different culture around it. And we've developed our own culture and I've developed my own specific way of holding ceremony. But I've just tried to provide people with what I found to be the very best. And what works, uh, you know, over and over again for people from all over the world that come with all different reasons, from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds to be able to have this kind of an experience. So, you know, some traditions will say things that align with what I say, and some traditions may do it completely differently. And I respect all of those traditions. And I think that we want to get out of and the global culture that one person's tradition is the right way and another person's tradition isn't so get out of that comparison and find a culture that really relates to you and how you would like the experience to be. And that'll be the most positive. In our case, we, uh, I, for, first of all, I work with everybody to make sure that they have a, the actual amount of ayahuasca that's specific for them. So first there's a, a process for dosing, not only the amount of ayahuasca, but also the kinds I have different brews and different blends that, uh, 
are designed to align with you physiologically. So, um, so we match and, and literally create a, a brew for you. Once you have it, I tell people like, just tell it the truth. Just tell it whatever's core and honest to yourself. Like you're not going to hide anything once you get into the experience. So just be honest. It doesn't matter how that honesty represents or how you think about it. Just be honest. Um, after being honest, I say, okay, let's go and let's start to really set our intentions. Intentions are not the reasons for being there. We have all of our reasons for being there, but the intentions guide what we're going to go through and through the experience, not just that night, but in the, the integration period, which can last months after an, a ceremony as well. So uh, we start to affirm the intentions and, um, you know, I help guide people with that because it, it's for some people, it's hard for them to be able to put it into thought and words. And so I tell them also, your intentions are in your heart and the ayahuasca is going to go to the heart. So just, you know, give it that access, open up already. Just say, hey, go to my heart, know my intentions. And, you know, let's go through this, this experience. Um, then we work on our breathing. And I like things that are very simple in ceremony. Uh, complex things are very hard when you're in a very intense experience. So I try to make things really simple. So the breathing technique we use is literally the simplest. We use a breath that is in and out. And it's nice, long, slow, and smooth. There's no counting. There's no, there's no mind fixation on it. It's just this flow state. And so I start walking everybody in through that flow state, both for relaxation and for focus. And then uh, you wanna relax into the ayahuasca. So the ayahuasca is in the body, you're gonna start to go into onset and you just wanna breathe through onset the whole time and uh, continue to, to feel like an opening and expansiveness take place. And if any kind of fears or any uh, you know strong emotion or anything like that comes up, we just breathe through it to kind of normalize it and make it stable and, and uh, you know, calmer for us. The idea is to constantly go back into a calmer state and relax into the experience and use the breath to be able to support that. Um, after the, the, it starts to take effect, then you want to just, you know, go for the, the experience. You want to say yes to the entire experience. So we actually want to, at that point, uh, encourage the ayahuasca, encourage ourselves, um, you know, inner encouragement, inner self-talk that's really positive. You want to, at the beginning of it, get really positive about the experience because you might go through some things that are difficult or hard. And so you want to be embracing of that aspect of what you're going to uncover, what you're going to learn and what you're going to discover on the journey. And, um, you know, also a uh, kind of patience. Um, I notice a lot of people over the, the years get really impatient because they don't know how much time has passed. And so they think like it hasn't kicked in yet, but it's only been 15 minutes, you know, or it's like, it's not strong enough and it's only been an hour and at like five hours, they're like begging for it to not be so strong anymore. <laughs> you know, that's happened to me a bunch of times too, like a bunch of times. So uh, there's this kind of patience, just like, Hey, this is a relationship that you're establishing with ayahuasca. So, you know, start to have the relationship, start to get into that. And then uh, it's important to understand that, What's going on in your mind is what you experience. 
And so if you're just sitting there expect in expectation, that's what you experience. If you're sitting in doubt, that's what you experience. If you're sitting in fear, that's what you experience. And so there's a kind of movement and agility to help shift the experience that you're having and to engage that and to help support that. And that really helps move it along, you know, so that we don't just get kind of stuck in one rooted place. And then if it's really intense, the thing to do is to go into the heart, find the heart. Uh, you can find it with your hands. Sometimes it's really hard to find it with the mind. So you just find it with the hands and you start to breathe into it. And, uh, you know, if there's ikaros, follow the ikaros and go deep into the heart. And from that place of heart, just stay there until the mind can calm down. Often when the ayahuasca is working on the mind, the mind can become very chaotic, which can be both scary and just uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's not a typical kind of uh, process of thinking that you have. So you can think all sorts of kinds of thoughts during that time that just aren't true. Like just, you can think all sorts of stuff that isn't true. So just go into the heart and let that pass. It'll actually help the mind. It's sort of like a disc defragmentation or a rewriting of a lot of things in the mind that just were out of balance and they call it a straightening process. So allow the mind to have its cleanse, go into the heart, stay in a loving space during that time and just continue to have that nice, long, slow, smooth, rhythmic breath. Yeah, one of the participants um, on the one that I did recently, she felt really trapped in her mind. Like there's this loop where she almost, she was trapped between that and then um, just actually, she said the the sickness felt so intense in her body. And after um, she was actually struggling to to walk and to like, I really needed to kind of help her like to, to get around, but she felt really sensitive to like, in a physical body, is is that something that you, you come across at all? Yeah, I mean, all of those things. I think everything that happens is, is ultimately part and parcel of the experience. You can feel super sensitive in the body. And, uh, you know, for someone like that, you just want them to lie down and relax and, and put on blankets, wear, you know, go under some blankets and just stay really calm for as long as it takes, including maybe even sleeping there for the night. Yeah. 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 A um, couple of things that I jotted down when you were, when you were speaking that I wanted to mention. Um, one of the things that I think it seems as though a lot of people have, I know people that maybe are curious, maybe they're starting to feel a calling, but one of the biggest fears they have, they always say is, oh, but it's letting go. It's, it's, I've got an issue with control and I really struggle letting go. And to me, I always, it, my feeling on it is, I think that's part of the journey. And the, one of the lessons is like, we don't have control, like it's time to let go. <laughs> um, is, is that, do you find that's one of the bigger things that kind of shows up with people that maybe it's the first time journeying, is there this control element and does the need for control, can that actually make the experience maybe more turbulent than what it needs to be? For sure. I think turbulence is a great word for it. You know, the idea of, of control is control of what you're, you're not controlling anything in the ayahuasca and you're not going to lose control either. Um, you know, you're going to go on this, this journey and you're going to go on this experience. If you resist it, that's not control. That's just resistance. And, uh, you got to let the mind go. It It's the shift, right? It's the shift that is hard. And so, you know, it can be turbulent. Yes, um, we help create that turbulence. And so what I like to go to is the idea of a dance. 
right? The beauty in sh shamanism is that it's not a sitting meditation. There's a kind of movement that's allowed. There's an ecstatic state that gets created. And, you know, when we're trying to hold back, when we're trying to resist, the counter energy of that can become very turbulent. And so instead of that, embrace it in a vibration and move with it and start to dance with it and turn it into a dance instead of a me versus it kind of control paradigm mm -hmm. or me versus the control over my reality or me versus the control over myself. The thing about ayahuasca specifically is that it's a very lucid state. It's not a drugged or, or drunk kind of losing your mind state. Things don't get like mushy or blurry. Things get really technicolor and really bright and really 8K and, you know, really like 5,000K. It's like not, it's it's more lucid than you're used to. And so um, because of that, you, you'll be very aware of yourself, right? You'll be very, very aware. So accept that aspect of it and start to dance in that relationship with the, the, uh, with the medicine, with the ayahuasca. What does that look like? Um, if there are people who are playing rhythms, drums, shakers, shakapas, things like that, move your hand with them. Mm. You know, move your toe, move your foot with it, move your feet with it. Uh, like very small movements, but just get you in, in line with the rhythm as the rhythm goes, right? Like that helps keep you going with the experience itself. In the, uh, in the interaction, it's not ayahuasca is doing this to me, it's that we're doing this. Yeah. We're doing this. It's just a reorientation. We're doing this. It's not I'm doing this. It's not ayahuasca is doing this to me. It's a we. We're doing this. So what are we doing? Well, let's do something that will really help this. Like, hey, we're not out of control. What are we doing? Like, let's, if, if it's too strong, let's calm down. Often turbulence is that the shift is taking place and we're not comfortable with it. Let's breathe. We're breathing. We're We're working together. So it's that dance, it's the we, it's the movement, all of that can really help. That was actually a big thing that came up for me on this last one, that it's not, she's just taken me, it's actually, no, this is, we're co-creating and we're we're actually interacting together. And there's, there's me on my own and there's the plant on her own. But when we come together, we're on a journey and an experience together. And that really felt apparent to me on this, last one but also really kind of coming out of it which i hadn't be previously i just thought i have the ayahuasca i've got no say we go in where she wants whereas this time it really felt like it was much more interactive like she said to me like okay you're here are you ready to go are you ready to go deep i've got a lot to show you basically and i said yeah let's go and then we went so it was actually a very different experience in almost my ability to interact um i know one of the things that for me i have some work on my sacral chakra and and throughout it it kept coming to that and it was saying she was saying we're healing this we're healing this and and i felt physically in my body almost like vibration and and a lot of stuff going on all around my sacral so in between the visions of my experience it would then bring me now and again to the sacral and the work there and love and connecting to mother and there was a lot of that going on so it was really interesting almost having this like you say almost like a dance together yeah I mean, that's fundamentally it this ayahuasca it's you know the fascination is that it's alive in its own right mm. and so like we talked about earlier, is it sentient on its own or is it sentient within us? 
we don't know because it's always we always have the experience within us but mm -hmm. once it's in us there's this interplay that takes place and so the more you embrace that interplay the you know ultimately the both the more expansive the experience is but also the deeper the communion with the plant is and that you can you know you can develop that over time it's the development of that relationship that is the most important part of the experience because it's that relationship that is what's going to continue beyond the experience and hmm. um, what do you think the what what advice do you have for people post ayahuasca what would be the way that you think would be best for people to navigate what they've experienced because it's a lot isn't it you know if someone hasn't experienced anything like well i want to correct that even if you experienced it many times i think you still do it and it's like whoa that was a lot what what's your advice on how to process and start to um integrate what you've experienced after the fact i think the very best thing is to find community that can now relate to you having had the experiences and one of the things we're doing with blue morpho academy is you know launching that community and coaching community to be able to interact with people who really are master facilitators or master shamans of the experience and also everybody of, of a, you know all different kinds of uh, experience levels and so the first thing is to be able to have people in your circles that have had these experiences, have been integrating them into their life and to learn from each other. And so, um, you know, that's one of, I think, the core components of what we're doing with the Academy. The other side of that is there's a lot of self-work to do. So you need to give yourself time every day to reconnect to the nature of the experience that you had. And uh you can use different kinds of techniques. I mean, now there are literally thousands of different kinds of self-help techniques out there. So you can find the ones that work best for you. But what I find works really the best is to find anywhere from like two to 10 very short periods of time in a day that I can relate to myself and the transformation that I've you know, created through these experiences. So I had intentions. The intentions aren't just fulfilled in the ceremony itself. The intentions are fulfilled after the ceremony as life continues to progress. And so I wanna continue that process while it's actually taking place, right? So the way that I'm gonna do that is, there are all these repetitive tasks that I do every day. Like uh, the first thing I'm gonna do is wake up from sleeping. Okay, well, as soon as I wake up, I'm kind of between sleep and waking up. That's a great two, three minutes to connect to my intentions, like start my day with my intentions start my day with the spiritual connection, start my day with the first breaths that I wanna take. So, you know, it's a great time to do a little breathing exercise and it's a great time to affirm the intentions. It's a great time to say some affirmations or some mantras that really get you focused on, uh, you know, the transformation that you're creating. Like it could be as simple as I am healing, I am healing, I am integrating, I am healing. Or if it's more about success, you can say, I'm making the choices and decisions that add up to success or every throughout the day, I will make the choices and decisions for incremental steps to success, you know, things like that. Or if you're working on your inner self, you can say, you know, part of the focus of today will be the evolution of my inner self to being more heart centered, calmer, uh, more at peace, more in equilibrium, more in balance. You can just use, you know, simple affirmation statements, self-referential statements, mantras, et cetera one minute, two minutes is enough to get that going. Then you now are going to go take a bath or shower. Okay. Well, now you have another, 
minute or two while you're in the shower. Mm -hmm. Well, you could just be thinking of anything, or you could be using that time to connect to the water and ask the water to balance you energetically as much as it's, you know, cleaning your physical body, have it clean your energetic body, mm -hmm. right? So process the dream state through there. So in the dream state, you've been processing psychologically in the subconscious and unconscious. Well, now have balance the spirit of the water, call to the spirit of the water for its purification of your, of your body and your energetic body and affirm your intentions again. Right. And then, I don't know, then you're going to go have a cup of coffee or tea or some kind of morning drink or something like that. And then you have another opportunity. See, they, they, they come one after another, after another, after another. Then you're going to be on your way to work or some other kind of task, and you're going to get stuck in a line or you're going to be stopped at a red light or you're going to have to, you know, wait for the subway or something is going to happen where you're going to have another like two, three minutes that you could either go to your phone and do whatever, or you could go check social media, or you could actually stop and once again, affirm those intentions, you know, talk to the ayahuasca inside, call on it. It's really simple. You just go like ayahuasca, this is what we're doing. And it's a reaffirmation of that. And so by the end of the day, you can easily in every day, find two to uh, 10 times in the day that you can affirm this change that you're making. And then you can break it into really, really small steps. Because sometimes it's like, I want a new life. And it's like, well, you're going to need a lot of steps to create a new life. Or I want to be happier. And it's like, well, there's going to be a million steps to happier, right? So, or I want a new relationship, or I want to, you know, I want a different kind of job, or I want a different career, or, you know, I want to fix these things in my marriage, et cetera. Those are like thousands of steps. But if we can do them literally like, you know, one, and then the next hour, another one, and then the next hour, another one, and these little micro movements, it makes it really easy actually to achieve these things in our life that would otherwise seem overwhelming. And so the, the two that I say you have every day is right when you wake up and right when you go to sleep. So now you've gone through your whole day and now it's been one of those days where it's just chaos the whole day. So you woke up in the morning, you affirmed your intentions. And for some reason it was just chaos, 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 because you didn't have one second that you could have done anything different to be connected or, you know, continue your path. Like it just happened. You get to the end of the day and you're just overwhelmed by it. Your head hits the pillow. Okay, right there, you have now at least two minutes before you fall asleep where you can process that day, right? And you can reaffirm with ayahuasca and you can reaffirm the integration and you can reaffirm with spirit and you can reaffirm with source. And you can let go of the stress of that day and start to process out, you know, just how difficult that day was. And so in all of these different ways, I think that we can make... Uh, small incremental steps to success, small incremental steps to change. And that literally over a day to a week, to a month, to a year, you see this massive transformation. You see this incredible integration and uh, you can then treat the integration in real time. What's going on for you? You know, so it's not just, oh, the, I had these visionary experiences and I have to you know, integrate them. It's I had these visionary experiences tied to my intentions. And I'm making incremental steps in my life to be able to implement what I learned from these, uh, you know, these sessions that I did. I think that's really a wonderful um, suggestion or, or way of approaching life, irrespective of actually if someone's done ayahuasca or not. I think anyone listening, just just that approach to life of waking up, first two minutes, just connecting to you know, their, their inner state, their, their, if it's a spiritual practice, how they feel on the inside, what they want the day to look like, same thing when they're in the shower. I think that's just wonderful advice for 
for anyone that's, I mean, I think for anyone who's got to this point of watching this podcast are probably on somewhat of a path where they're called to want to go a little bit deeper within themselves. And I think if they've done ayahuasca or not, I think that's a really incredible approach to, you know, just connecting with that deeper sense of you throughout the day. I agree. I mean, <clears throat> life transformation is is up to us. Right? This is not an externalized concept and force that's done to us. It's up to us. And so, you know, that's the way we approached all the hard things we did when we were little as a kid. We did them just a little by little by little every day. Yeah. And we can still use those same techniques to be able to literally transform anything we have going on in our life. One of the most important things to the work that sits behind the sacred plants is intention. And intention is really the focus and continued focus on something over time. So like I said, there's a difference between intention and the reason for being there. Intention is your continued focus on something over time. A lot of people forget that by the time they actually get the manifestation of their intention, they moved on to other intentions. Right? So I have some people who have made intention boards, so they have images of all their intentions so that they can go back and see in the images if they fulfilled those intentions yet or not. Uh, some people create lists. They just do better with words and lists and stuff like that. And uh, it's important that you understand that your intention is guiding what you're creating in your life. And so these incremental steps of affirming your intention, staying connected with your intention is what keeps you focused on that development and the manifestation of it over time. Yeah, wonderful. How's it been for you over the last 20 years? Obviously, you know, the first time you would have gone to Peru to now, the popularity of plant medicines and the awareness of, you know, ayahuasca is so vastly different. So two things on this is, is one, how has it been for you seeing that shift take place? And secondly, what do you think the reason might be for that shift having happened? Well, you know, when I started, I didn't think any of this would happen. You know, honestly, I just went into the forest. I went really as far away as you could go from being connected to Western society. I was living on a small river with only eight families living out there past the last group of natives. And it was just uninhabited forest beyond it. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I had no idea that any of this would happen. It was part of the calling that I followed to go out there. And I thought it was, you know, very difficult to how to relate to those experiences back to the Western world anyway. Um, since then, what ultimately happened was that the Western world sort of woke up to the fact that there are these other kinds of experiences, consciousness enhancing experiences, natural medicines that provide an unbelievable benefit to humanity and, and each other. And it started to get embraced. And people at that time culturally were asking the question about, you know, there's got to be something more. And so if you just have that question, there's got to be something more and you start looking for it, you know, millions of people around the world are looking for something more and some people are going to find it. And then media at that time allowed for the uh, rapid expansion and sharing of information that also didn't exist before. And so it's this like incredible convergence in time of where all of a sudden there was real positive, uh, you know, media and really positive things about real transformation and healing that people were getting from plant medicines. And uh, at the same time, there was also in terms of information and technology, the ability to share that 
through a network that was created much faster in time. And we participated in that. I mean, I shared openly the benefits of these kinds of experiences from very early on around the nature of the practices and, and just how important they were for mental health and well-being and how they could help people that had experienced different kinds of trauma and how you could also find a you know, core direction in your life and tremendous expansion for awareness and consciousness. And so I think there were, you know, a lot of us who were sharing at that time, uh, you know, the positive information of this and that that ripple effect just went really, really fast throughout the world. Um, and the world needed it at that time too. And it still does. I mean, it's still growing at a, an unbelievably rapid rate. Um, at first I was really concerned that, you know, it would be treated as some kind of drug culture because for us, it was sacred medicine and sacred medicine doesn't fit within the Western drug culture, just simply doesn't. Like there were uh, pharmaceutical drugs that were medicines. There were plants that were medicines. And then there were these other things that were recreational drugs. And we didn't consider what we did part of the recreational drug community at all. It was the exact opposite. It was part of a sacred healing community that utilized plants in a form of, uh, you know, traditional or tribal medicine or kind of deep spiritual slash religious medicine. And so um, that's what we saw at the world, in the world at that time. There were like the, the religions like Santo Daime and the UDV that utilized the plants as part of deep religious communion. And they also experienced healing through those experiences. And then there were groups like ours that were connected to ancestral tribal lineages that saw this as plant medicines that were part of the deep spiritual communion also of those tribal lineages. And so my concern was that that wouldn't be respected and it would just somehow be debased into um, people using this simply for the purpose of substance. And uh, luckily and incredibly, miraculously, that's not what happened. So the fear and the concern wasn't actually founded. What really happened was that people embraced this as a form of traditional medicine. They embraced the culture that sat behind it. In general, they embraced the safety measures that are necessary to be able to do this in a, a purposeful way. And um, obviously not everybody, but most, most, and most of the publication out there speaks about the importance of safety and what's necessary in terms of safety guidelines to be able to do this in a way that's positive. And so um, I think that was, I think the most incredible thing was that um, that aspect of the, the culture, the safety aspect of the culture was propagated and shared as well uh, around the world in association with the use of the plants including dietary restrictions and uh, all the different kinds of contraindications and warnings in terms of um, the interplay and side effects and with other kinds of Western medicines and having to come off those medicines or whether you're a good candidate to be able to participate in these experiences or not. And um, medical screening and getting, you know, uh, Western doctors permission if there's, you know, edge cases or somebody who's in the gray all the centers started to embrace that kind of behavior and uh, the individual practitioners did as well in general. And I think that, um, you know, seeing that is just really something that's actually really important to show that there is a safe, responsible, professional use of this. It's not in the Western drug culture. It can ultimately be embraced by the Western medical systems as another form of medicine for them. And it can also exist as a form of plant medicine and uh, tribal medicine as well within the world, that there's room for all of it. And uh, it's just been a tremendous this honor to get to be a part of that and to uh you know have the experiences and get to continue to share them with others yeah i, I can imagine it must have been such a special and like you say honor to to be a part of that it's uh it's really 
it's really fascinating and you know just having the conversation with you and hearing all about it is is fantastic and you know for anyone who's watching this that you know feels called towards ayahuasca and specifically that feel a connection and a calling with you and your energy you know where can they where can they find you how can they find out about the the ceremonies that that you facilitate yeah come to our website at bluemorphotours.com and uh the easiest place is there so bluemorphotours.com has all of our retreat schedule and um you know where we're hosting retreats and the retreats that we're, we're doing most of them right now are ayahuasca based but we'll also have some san pedro wachuma retreats um in the sacred valley for later in the year and then i'm also on social media you can find me at hamilton Souther on facebook and instagram and uh you know i respond to direct messages and so if there are any questions and stuff like that feel free to contact us and uh, also the blue morpho academy so join our newsletter to be able to get information about the academy and uh yeah it's having an incredible plant medicine experience and if you're interested in learning about it having the experience or healing we're more than happy to work with you and help facilitate for you amazing uh hamilton thank you so much for doing the podcast and sharing your wisdom your expertise your knowledge your experiences uh it's been an absolute pleasure awesome well thank you so much for inviting me it's a pleasure to be on it i look forward to more conversations with you thank you hamilton all right i hope you enjoyed that episode it was a real special one for me as i'm so passionate about ayahuasca and some of the things that can come out of it after we finished recording hamilton and i actually spoke about me going over to peru to join him in person and actually journeying with ayahuasca there with him and i'm really excited to share as that unfolds i'm going to record the entire thing and hopefully also do a podcast to follow up in person with Hamilton. So stay tuned for that one. Also, if you enjoy these conversations, but maybe there aren't people in your life that you regularly have them with, and you want to join a tribe of people that are all about these types of ideas and want to explore some of the deeper meanings in life, then I'm going to put a link below to join the Conscious Community. It's a Facebook group. It's completely free. I'll be there and other people like me that like to have these types of maybe more esoteric, harder to come by, conversation. So if you feel called to that, please go ahead and do that. All of the links to be able to find myself on Instagram, other podcast platforms, and also how to find Hamilton and Bloom Morpho retreats will be in the description below. So thanks so much again for watching, and I'll see you on the next one.